Hi, welcome all to the first ever Middle Earth in Mercia podcast. So what is the podcast? The concept is is a limited series podcast focusing on a group of rookies, us, on our road to Wildercon. As we sit here right now at the end of April, not one of us has ever entered a tournament of any kind. Uh, I, I think it's fair to say for at least 15 years, none of us has uh, played Lord of the Rings with anybody outside of our immediate group. And I'm sort of tying this together with uh, an ambition I've sort of had for some time to try something to create, if whether that was YouTube or podcasting or something like that, and bring it together with, with this to, um, at, at minimum, just record what I think will be a, an interesting and fun time for us. Um, hopefully, if somebody else gets some enjoyment out of it, that'd be great. But yeah, the, the idea is to just give it a crack. Uh, it'll be about four months long maybe four to eight episodes um, focusing on our, our on our road to Wildercon. And if it goes well, yeah, uh, and I'm really enjoying it, that being the most thing, uh, then maybe I'll keep going it. But if not, it's just a bit of an audio blog for myself and my friends uh, to, re- to remember this short journey uh, we've gone on from complete newbies to Wildercon players. Uh, I know anyone can buy a ticket, so it, it's not like uh, we're particularly achieving anything, but um, I, I think it could be interesting. I, and I, I, it'd definitely be interesting for me to be able to look back on, on these memories. Um, and uh, yeah, m- maybe it will appeal to some other people out there. So uh, yeah, that, that's the concept. Um, there's going to be sort of uh, definitely myself involved primarily um, and my friend Chris for sure. Um, and hopefully one or two others who will be helping uh, with the occasional episode and uh, um, practice games and that kind of thing and army building and so on. They're, they're part of the group. They're, they'll be involved. So beyond that concept, what exactly are we going to be talking on an episode-to-episode basis? So I, th- I think the, the first thing, first and foremost, is the game itself. Um, we, we will love it. Um, what what appeals about it? What what's great? What what, what nuance to the Middle Earth in uh, sorry? What nuance to the Middle Earth strategy battle game is there that draws us as war gamers? Uh, now I, I think it'd be too broad a topic to just you know start going into what exactly about war gaming. Uh, I, I'm talking about let's let's focus purely on what is it about the Lord of the Rings strategy battle game. Um, because uh, for, for myself, for instance, like many people, um, I, I was into uh, Wargaming, Warhammer, Warhammer Fantasy, Lord of the Rings a lot when I was sort of a kid, up until about the age of about 17. And then as happens with a lot of people, you know, uh, life's distractions take hold and uh, you sort of walk away from it for a little while. And um, yeah, then I've come back to it sort of in my my mid to late 20s uh, with a little bit more income than I had when I was a teenager. And I've been able to buy some of those marvellous models that I just couldn't afford when I was a kid. 
And uh, I've really been loving it. And the, the gateway back into it was Lord of the Rings. Uh, Lord of the Rings wasn't my first love. Um, I was definitely into Warhammer 40k because I got into it at a very young age at, at primary school. Um, but then when those movies came out in 2001, um, it, it was full steam really. And my love for the Tolkien verse has never really gone away. Uh, I, I, I did read The Hobbit when I was a little bit younger than that, but I didn't really, uh, I read it when I was so young, I didn't really realise it was part of a wider verse. Um, so yeah, uh, I'm sure we'll be talking about the game, about the, to uh, the, the Tolkien lore and so on, and what appeals to us about that. So the, the next thing we'll probably be discussing uh, on the podcast is army building from our perspective and i want to be really clear from the get-go that i'm i'm not talking about we're going to be sitting down and we're going to be giving in-depth advice um my advice to you would probably be don't follow our advice at all um the viewpoint of this podcast is purely we are giving our perspective as a group of tournament rookies i'd like to think that um we will occasionally you know uh, come up with something that maybe it's not been thought of because we're coming at it from a, a different perspective we are all quite experienced war gamers and we are all big strategy fans um so i, I wouldn't say that we're, we're clueless when it comes to that but uh, with a game particularly that has so many armies uh, I, I would be just being blind arrogant to say that I, I understand every, every viewpoint on that. this. I am sure we are going to sit down in some of these uh, warm-up tournaments and uh, maybe even still at Articon itself and someone's going to be sitting there with an army and I am going to be completely blindsided by what they've brought to the table and how they're going to do it. But I would like to think that we can have the occasional um, you know, diamond in the rough and perhaps that viewpoint, I, I, I know um, having got competitive with like certain computer games and, and things like that in the past, um, and, and to a, a lesser extent, like sort of uh, my own local group of games like Magic the Gathering and, and things like that, that um, when you've got an enclosed system like that, people do tend to develop into their own bubble meta. I mean, I you often hear on the various podcasts and things like people uh, talking about the difference between the UK meta, the Australian meta and the American meta. And that's because people operate in their, their own bubble bubble, and they uh, they respond um, to the, the stimuli that they're receiving. And if people aren't doing certain things, they're not going to respond to it. Um, so, yeah, I, I'd like to think uh, coming in as this small group that's been playing together, maybe we'll have our own ideas about how to do things. I know, for instance, that we are uh, a big fan of Horde armies and have been for some time. I, I remember listening to the podcast and almost being outra outraged about three years ago because, uh, from my understanding, the UK meta then was really, really leaning towards elite armies. Uh, and I know that has changed a bit, and you do see a bit, uh, a few more horde armies now. I'm not saying we came up with that idea. Um, I'm sure lots of other people were doing it as well. But uh, yeah, that's just an example. So um, the next topic that we'll be covering is um, our experience of the events, our experience of uh, our practice games. Uh, you know, like uh, interviewing ourselves, really. What was it like at our first tournament? What was it like at our second tournament? Uh, what, what have we learned? Um, this is really going to be sort of a bit of a crash course. Um, and yeah, there should be a lot of learning. So I think it'd be interesting to share that. Um, and especially when we're, we're going to record those organic uh, conversations between us all, where we're breaking down what's gone on on the day, what we think went well, what we think went badly. And uh, 
I, I think that would be pretty interesting. For, for us, at least, um, maybe there'll be a few people that will find it interesting as well. But uh, I, I'm looking forward to recording that for my, myself, if nothing else. So the next topic I, I think that will come up, and I don't think it's going to be a main topic, but is uh, game balance, sportsmanship, and fairness. I think with any game, uh, no matter how friendly it is, no matter how good-spirited it is, when you've got a winner, when you've got a loser, when it is defined in those manners, everybody wants to feel that they've had a fair crack at it. Everybody wants to feel that they've had the same opportunity for learning prior to the game. Everybody wants to feel that they've had access to the same resources. And everybody wants to feel that the only two things that have decided the outcome of that game it, well, three things is your own decisions, your opponent's decisions, and the roll of those dice. Um, and yeah, I, I think that's going to come up. Um, like, I think this is a supremely balanced game, which is part of the reason that it is so popular. But there, I think there are a few blind spots where perhaps it could be improved. And if those come up, we're going to talk about them. Um, uh, I don't really expect it to happen, and it, and it's part of the reason that I've decided uh, the the Lord of the Rings. Uh, battle game it is going to be my first foray into tournament playing i don't expect it um because from everything i've heard online the the caliber and sportsmanship from players is is exceptional um in, in this little community um but if little things do come up with our opponents um we certainly won't be name dropping or anything like that that would be completely out of order but we're going to talk about it um and uh even those times where you have conflicted with someone, and uh, uh, not in this game, because uh, yeah, I only play with my my friends, but I have conflicted with people in the past and in other systems and in, in other games. And even those can be learning experiences of of how to how to deal with those situations. So yeah, we're going to talk about it. Um, and yeah, just a a catch-all really. If releases come out during this time. Um, and uh, we want to talk about them, we'll talk about them. That, that's a cool model, that's not a cool model, what we think about the rules, and so on. So, moving on. that That's that's covered what we aim to discuss. What will we not be? Because I think that is just as important to define as what we will be. And what we will not be is pre-match, during, and post-match interviews uh, at the tournaments. Logistically, it is much more difficult than what I'm aiming to do here. Part part of the idea of doing this as a podcast in, in this format is that other than a light bit of editing, other than producing a few sound bites and things, it is pretty low weight for me. I'm just sitting down and, and spewing my thoughts and having conversations with my friends. Um, uh, I think that with our level of experience, our lack of experience at tournaments, it would be borderline disrespectful to be messing around with sound equipment and so on at a tournament when I'm meant to be focusing on the game. Um, uh, yeah, maybe someday, like never, never say never, might do the, the occasional one, but right now that is not something I aim to do. And more importantly, there are people out there doing an absolutely cracking job of doing that. Uh, if that's what you're after, I would highly recommend go and listen to the Entmoot podcast. Uh, Harry just does that top-notch um uh, I, i'm not trying to take a, a, a away from what he does but 
or the game itself. But obviously, the Lord of the Rings strategy battle game is quite niche. And I, have the quality of output he, he's producing, I have absolutely no doubt. If he was doing it maybe for 40k, that guy would have a massive audience. Uh, I don't want him to move to 40k or anything like that. And I'm sure he's not not planning to, but I, I'm just saying. I, 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 I think it is. That podcast is well appreciated within the community, but it deserves more love. And uh, yeah, I would never even conceive of stepping on, on, on those toes. Um, we're, we're not going to be doing that. That's not what this is going to be. Uh, so second up, what else is this not going to be? It is not going to be in-depth and experienced uh, tactical and strategy advice uh, on the Middle Earth strategy battle game. Um, if that's what you're looking for, uh, I think you need to go elsewhere. If you want a fresh take, if you want a bit of a, a jostle with some out, out, outside views that might make you think a little bit differently, if you want to see how naive we are and have a good chuckle about that, then that, that's something else it can be. Um, but I, I, yeah, maybe for an absolute beginner so they, they can learn the first steps as we're learning them um, and save themselves a little pain, it might be useful. But this is not intended as advice. None of it is intended as advice. Please take it all with a grain of salt. Please take any strong opinions we, we express with the, the benefit of the doubt that we don't know any better. Um, there are much better places to go. I would recommend listening to the, the Green Dragon podcast. Um, I, I mean, I've, I've lost count of how many tournament winners they've had uh, on that show. Uh, the main hosts are tournament winners. I think there's a, an Ardacon, uh, you know, a Champions tourna, uh, Tournament runner-up or, or, or winner. Like, there are much better people, uh, and certainly them. We, we can't even hope to hold a candle to that. So uh, I just want to make clear, we're, we're not looking to emulate that whatsoever when we're talking strategy. This is a bunch of rookies bouncing around ideas uh, and maybe occasionally reaching out for a little bit of help from the community. So the next two of what it, what is it not is basically painting tutorials and, and terrain. As I mentioned earlier, uh, we're doing a podcast um, because we feel it will be uh, low intensity for us where we can put out good uh, output while recording this little experience. Um, so yeah, we're not going to be doing painting tutorials or, or terrain building. There's going to be no video ele element. Of, I don't know. Maybe there'd be you know the the occasional uh, clip or something on one of our Instagrams or something at a tournament. But uh, yeah, that's not going to be the primary focus. So you you won't find that here. Um, there's plenty of great and better painters and terrain builders out there that you can find. There's far too many painters to even begin naming, but terrain building, obviously Zorp Zorp comes to mind with Lord of the Rings. Uh, I mean, he builds like wetter workshop uh, level stuff. Go watch that. It's great. Okay, so moving on. Who is this podcast uh, aimed for? Who, who is it being produced for? And I have to be straight up honest on this one. Number one is for me and, and my friends to rec record this little journey, almost like a um, an audio di diary, uh, an audio blog. Um, I, I think this is going to be a nice little period in our lives uh, of uh, getting exposed to this new community, doing it all together as friends. Like, I mean, uh, <laughs> not to get too corny, but that, that that's almost like one of the main themes of Lord of the Rings, isn't it? Get get I know I know they had much worse times but getting through things with friends uh, m makes it all better and uh, when you're doing something enjoyable and you're doing it with friends and you're doing new things uh, there's almost not 
Well, there are some other things that are great fun, but yeah, there's almost nothing better. And uh, I, I see this as a way of recording it and, you know, dragging out those experiences. Uh, I mean, like um, I've, I've got a number of hobbies and, and whenever I sort of like, um, like for, for instance, I go to an airsoft day or I go to a motorcycle track day or something, sitting down with your friends at the end of the day and chatting about all those great moments you've had, uh, whether they were a little bit scary, whether they were a little bit exciting or whether it was just straight up enjoyment. Um, it almost drags out the day and sharing those experiences with your friends, solidifying those memories in your mind. Uh, it, it's great. And I, I see that as a bit of that. And um, yeah, I mean, if one, two, three, four, five people. I mean, I'd be absolutely over the moon if anybody listens to this. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm not going to lie. It's primarily for our, ourselves. That, that's why it's a limited run. It's a bit of an experiment. It's a bit of fun. Um, if I really enjoy it and we get a handful of listeners, listeners, then maybe I'll ca- carry on. But if um, if not, then no harm, no foul. So beyond just my selfish reasons of wanting to do this, who else is it for? And uh, I, I think perhaps new players, but with a basic knowledge of the game. I'm not going to be sitting uh, down and saying, look, this is the phases and so on. Uh, we'll we'll be talking. Uh, basic tactics and basic strategies uh, for sure and uh, as we move from our sort of internal group meta um, to the wider UK meta getting exposed to all these these tournaments I think that would be an interesting journey and I think that could potentially be useful to other people looking to do the same thing. Um, I wouldn't go as far as saying I regret because I've done some great things over the last few years but it has been sort of an ambition of mine um, to perhaps go to a tournament um, in one form or another. I was thinking about doing 40k at one point, but the meta in that is so aggressive. Like, I, I, I like a competitive game, but I don't want to turn up at a, a tournament where somebody is playing, you know, half a de- dozen identical units. Uh, I, I Part of what I love about the Lord of the Rings is that there is, there is this... Uh, variety and lore and people try and do interesting things they try and do interesting what ifs and uh, I I far far uh, enjoy seeing an army that has uh, been crafted with some sort of joy um, and great idea that this person has come up with than I do I thought this was the optimum combination of blah 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 um, I'm not really. I'm not really interested in that. That that. Um, if I wanted a hyper competitive game, in all honesty, I probably wouldn't do war gaming. Uh, a, a good half of this, in my eyes, is for the love of it. Um, I do like a competitive game, though. Uh, I, I'm not going to lie there. I, I I don't want it to be just for fun. But a, a, anyway, a uh, bit of a sidetrack side there. Um, yeah, uh, I I've needed a bit of a push. And seeing um, the Great British Hobbit League, Articon, um, the doubles tournament at Warhammer, all of those things coming back on, uh, the content from the uh, from creators starting to come back out as they're going to more tournaments and things, um, it's relit really a flame in me. I, I've sort of spent two years um, doing 40k quite a bit, and I've really enjoyed that. I love the models, beautiful models. But I'm not going to lie, I've become a bit frustrated with uh, the current rule sets and the current changing. Uh, yeah, and combined with that and what I've been seeing going on with Lord of the Rings, I've just been like, now's the time. Let's do it. Let's get tickets to these things. Uh, let's go out and do it. And uh, the, the final shove was, yeah, like I've perhaps got a bit carried away. I've created all the framework for a, a podcast. 
Uh, and I've been like, Articon? Articon? Should we go to Articon? And we're going to Articon. So yeah, maybe this will act as a, a, as a push for someone else. I think that would be great if like even one person is like prompted uh, to do the same thing because I know I haven't experienced any of it yet, but I just I have to believe we can have a great time and I'm really really looking forward to it. Um, so yeah, the, uh, primarily new players with a basic knowledge of the game who perhaps also haven't uh, gone to tournaments. Um, who, who else could it appeal to? So players looking for a different viewpoint. I, I think it could work with that as well. New experienced players out there, you're probably going to get a, a, a bit of a laugh or, or, or maybe a little bit of insight of like, you know, other ways to think about um, because uh, I'm, none of us have been on scene. Frankly, we've got no no experience whatsoever. We're, we're as green as they come, and maybe that will be of interest uh, to people. Yeah, like like I say, maybe having a little chuckle at our naivety, but maybe every now and then, you know, maybe one idea in a hundred, uh, we we come up with something that perhaps people haven't thought of. And uh, I think, yeah, uh, I don't think that's arrogant to say maybe maybe we could do that. I'm not saying we're going to be going to tournaments and be having a positive win uh, ratio. Uh, in, in all honesty, I'd be really happy if I go to some tournaments and just win one or two games. That would be amazing. And uh, who else? Finally, yeah, people who just want something to paint to. Um, there is a lot of good content out there, but there is only a limited amount of content, especially for the Lord of the Rings game. And uh, I, I don't know about you, but for myself, uh, I'm not going to lie, it's a pretty low threshold. Basically, people just need to be talking about the hobby, not have a completely offensive voice, um, and I will probably sit down and paint for it. So, um, yeah, may maybe we can pick up a couple of people that want to listen to that. Um, so, yeah, that, that that's what we, what we are, what we'll discuss, what we're not going to be, and who it's for. I'm going to introduce uh, my co-host, Chris. Chris, say hello. Hello. <laughs> Very good. Um, so Chris is sort of uh, my main friend that I've played uh, Lord of the Rings with over the years. Um, and uh, in recent years, we've moved on to sort of playing 40k and things like that. But uh, then obviously, as I said at, at the beginning, uh, we've sort of become reacquainted with Lord of the Rings again and, uh, and suddenly been motivated to take on this uh, lofty challenge of going from no tournaments all the way up to Ardacon. Um, so yeah, Chris, uh, why don't you introduce yourself a bit more? And um, I've already been through mine, so why don't you, you talk about your hobby experience? How did you get involved in the hobby? Yeah, well, I think um, I'm even more of an amateur than, than you are, Sonny, really. Uh, when I was um, probably 10, 11, I collected some Warhammer Fantasy and painted that. And I did, I did buy, at the time, a few boxes of Lord of the Rings models, I think I bought some elves hmm. um, and possibly something else and wasn't particularly good paint, so it was kind of getting out of, of the hobby at the time. Um, yeah, but then a few years ago, um, well, quite a few years ago now, we started playing again. You had some models around. I'd got dug some out of the loft, I think, um, and I think we maybe played one of our first games of Lord of the Rings where I was using some of my old Bretonian Warhammer Fantasy models, but with... You as a game, um, someone to play, to play the game with, I was drawn into it really and um, 
bought a few models on eBay, um, used a lot of Dettol to clean them up <laughs> <laughs> and uh, managed to get a few on the cheap. And we sort of managed to just hit a sweet spot before the prices st really mm. started spiking um, on eBay. Uh, I don't know when it was, was I remember, it 2017, Yeah, it was sort of when the game started to get revived. Yeah, there was probably clearly a wider revival that we mm. were part of. And I think part of that is... you. you we were all of a generation where all these models were there. They were great, but our pocket money, you know, didn't leave much. You didn't really have enough money to, to buy everything that you wanted. And I guess now we've probably 10 years into our careers, have some spare cash, haven't yet got children. And mm. that means that we've been able to do a, a bit of childhood wish fulfillment and get in and build some of the armies that we didn't build as, as children really I suppose so for, certainly for me anyway and um, yeah that's been a really great part of it I really enjoy the painting side but it's obviously lovely to get the models out on the table um, so I never had played a game of Lord of the Rings mm. until I played with you okay um, whereas you I think had played as a teenager yeah I played quite a lot when mm. uh, it was one of my favourite games to play because I didn't really understand the rules to 40k properly <laughs> yes yeah well then that probably leads me on to why this is a game I've probably enjoyed the most playing with you because we've played a few different ones. I've played um, some Warhammer Fantasy um, with another friend as well. And the, I guess they're all different things, um, but what you can say about Warhammer Fantasy and especially Warhammer 40k is they're quite involved, complex mm. games where there's a lot of rules and the rules often change mm. depending on there's a variety of editions. Um, in the case of Warhammer 40,000, that's constantly being updated. So you can buy a codex and then that might. Mm. be out of date pretty quickly so with um, yeah yeah definitely i do agree with you we're maybe ble bleeding into well my my further points so, mm. yeah but so you you were more warhammer fantasy when, when you yeah, were a kid exactly and then yeah sort of about 2014 2015 we started playing together yeah practically um, it was as early as that yeah, yeah. probably was actually yeah uh, i do remember that a few of our games were a bit fractious mainly because you were reading the rule book, whereas I was trying to remember the rules as they were when I was a teenager. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there so, been a, a difference there. Um, but I was obviously coming into it clean as well. So, mm. um, But we, I think managed, that was quite a good learning curve of how do you play a game with a friend and not have an argument, <laughs> essentially. Oh, definitely. What are the yeah. kind of ways of doing that? And I think, yeah, that's definitely something that, it takes a, a, maybe a, a game or two to get the hang of, but once you get that, it's really enjoyable. Yeah. yeah, I think I had to sort of relearn how I used to play with my friends when I was a kid. Yeah. And then, yeah, as a, as a grown man, playing both a, a competitive game, but you're playing with a friend and yeah. you want everyone to enjoy. Yeah, because we're both quite competitive, I think, when we play board games. Yeah, and, and we have to general. sort of keep it in, in check. Yes. Like, yeah. when, if you were playing something like chess or something it's it's a short form game isn't it yeah yeah and i think this lord of the rings has some elements of chess i really enjoy playing mm. chess and i enjoy that it feels like a very multi-dimensional version of that in a way with a lot more variables but there's a a, a relentless logic to it at the same time um, so so yeah i mean i guess we're getting there so we're just mm. we're flowing to our next topic which which was uh, meant to be discussing why we like Lord of the Rings specifically. So we're, we're not going to go into um, why we like wargaming, because I think mm. that's quite a broad topic, and anybody that's going to be listening to this already knows what they like wargaming. But yeah, the, Lord of the Rings, I, I, I think for me, it's, it's a combination of that. It, it's set in the Tolkien verse, what Peter Jackson added to it visually, 
um, the Perry sculpts, um, which, yeah, I, I know they've got new sculpts now, but I am a big fan of. I, I think they've got a real uh, style to them that uh, appeals to me and how I like to paint as well. Mm. Um, and, yeah, then the, the simple complexity of the game, that the core rules are simple, but the complexity comes from, you know, like you were talking, that it has elements of chess. Like when you're up in combat with one another, it's almost like a dance, isn't it? Of yes. Making sure that you're trapping where you should be trapping, mm -hmm. make sure you're supporting where you can be supporting, and also factoring in whether you have priority. Or yeah, whether you have the initiative in the game as well, whether you've got that forward momentum. There's that. And as you say, uh, a complexity that arises from a, a relatively simple set of rules. I mm. think that's the key. A part of, of the comparison there, but that and that gives a lot of enjoyment to the game as well. I think. Mm. Um, so yeah, of all the game war games I've played, this is the one I probably do enjoy playing the most. I think it has been somewhat uh, shielded from the the complexity and the competitive creep of some of the other Games Workshop products as well. Being uh, like what not. Well, it is one of their mainline games, but it's a lesser mainline game, isn't it? Yeah, um, it's it's probably a bit more niche, but I think it is enjoy it's clearly enjoying a very great and consistent revival. Um, and the fact that people are still really interested in it more than 20 years on now from the release of the films and, and then the range of models. Um, I mean, yeah, I'd, yeah, you and me have both done that classic thing, which I think happens to a good three quarters of hobbyists. Yeah. That you fall out of love with it when you sort of, I guess, later puberty. <laughs> yeah. Girls are more important, or, or men, or whatever you're yeah. into, really. And that, the and the usual things that distract, yeah, yeah, exactly. Extract you when yeah. you're a young adult, and then yeah, once you become a bit more financially stable and you've got somewhere exactly. to live all the time, yeah. Suddenly, this has a huge appeal. Yeah, because um, like, you go from that kind of safety net with your parents and being fairly reliant on them and you can kind of get that early involvement in the hobby and then there's lots of demands on your time whatever you're doing at that age but you're probably studying there's a lot of socializing you're forming your identity and you're doing other things perhaps um some people absolute troopers and they they keep going mm. with the hobby throughout and yeah, yeah fair play to them but it's definitely something i sort of dipped into occasionally i do some painting but i wouldn't really dive in but I think since Lord of the Rings has come on the scene for me I've just been full-throated painting every week and <laughs> yeah I do I think many uh, you know I've got more models than I should have now so, <laughs> yeah I do remember <laughs> that between my sort of like eight-year absence there was like one one sweet uh, summer where I was in love with Cadians because my girlfriend at the time had broken up with me yeah so well, it's, it's a comfort <laughs> thing isn't it and I, I do find I like when I you know need it I, I can retreat to doing some painting and, and having a game with you and, and that's great. I mean, the social side is yeah. is definitely part of it, isn't it? Yeah, well, we yeah, because you buy each other on as well and sort of look at what someone else then gives you an idea or um, you kind of also want to make sure that the armies you've got look really good on the on the field. Mm. That's yeah, that's a big part of the appeal for me, seeing the visual aspect of it, how it all looks. On so the, yeah, some, that. something we should touch on there, because mm. Chris will be too modest to say. Mm. Chris is the most prolific army painter I've ever met. <laughs> <laughs> he can paint to an excellent quality, and I have seen examples of that. So, so the majority of his models are done to a um, 
Battle well, Ready, I would I, say. I, would, I was going to say Battle Ready, but I think they're better than Battle Ready. They yeah. are definitely better. Battle Ready is three colours, and you definitely do... You go beyond... Oh, I go beyond that. You go yeah. well beyond that. It's whether I get into the highlighting side of things and do a, that extra stage, or if I just think, right, I'm pa painting this batch of army for this game, or, but, you know, I've got this idea. I mean, this may be something we, we touch on back and forth. What is Chris keeps a count of his painted model count mm. and a rough ratio. Do, yeah. do you know what you're currently? I actually on? do. So I've just recently broken the 3,000 model mark of, of total models. So that includes some one for Of painted. Um, so that's my total collection, mm. um, not including a load of rubbish in a box, basically. <laughs> you know. Um, but, but, but broadly, uh, yeah, just over 3,000. I've just got some more master models as well. We won't mm. count those. Um, it's a bit hard to account for the, the small ones on a strip. But 3,028 millimeter models. Um, and of those, I'm about 2,480 are painted. I that, that is incredible. Yeah. Um, so, because I've, I've sort of had to say, I don't. I have to keep that relentless focus on making sure that, you know, if you keep buying them, you've got to keep painting them and to justify the future purchases, really, I guess. <laughs> I, I mean, if, putting that in perspective, I, I would at a guess say I've maybe have a thousand models mm. and I reckon 200 of them are battle ready and about 50 I never intend to touch yeah, a paintbrush to And again. I guess by, I think in maybe when I started taking account of the models because I thought well this is growing quite quickly mm. and actually I need to keep track of this otherwise it becomes a very unwieldy beast and I think maybe it was in 2020 going into lockdown I think I had a thousand models mm. so there's you know a thousand models a year for the last two years has been the kind of acquisition rate yeah and I've just tried to keep pace with the painting really mm. on that front I think yeah. it is a well, um, when I play Tom, who's someone that we'll hopefully introduce on the podcast a later date, mm. and when I play Chris, I, I find it a great motivator having friends that turn up with painted armies mm. and, and, yeah, wanting to offer that immersiveness to, to my opponent. Because, yeah, it, it is lovely when you've, like, um, do you remember, like, quite some time ago when I, I turned, well, it was a game we played here at my house, um, where I, I tur turned out and opened my box with those Morgul Knights, Oh, yeah. And how proud I was that I had basically killed myself for the last 24 <laughs> hours painting them. in. Yeah, yeah, they were beautiful. That was a real... That I was really a real... Remember, remember that, that game as well. And that, I still want to get some Morganites. That's something I don't They have. are lovely nice yeah. models. Um, I think they're, they're really nice. And the way you, you painted them is really nice as well. Um, so, yeah, I think there's a few things in there, really. But, you know, the visual aspect of painting, I think... It's a nice social aspect. There's a, the painting as a kind of almost therapy. There's all sorts of, of aspects yeah. in there that make it a really absorbing thing. But I suppose we, what was maybe missing was the kind of, well, we're playing in our little bubble. Yeah. But there's these guys out there, they're playing tournaments, and that looks like good fun. But we have not really yet got to the stage of it, but I think, you know, yeah. now it's going to be the time that we we dive headfirst in, into it all. Which, yeah, that nicely moves us on to, to our next point of discussion, which is why didn't we do this earlier? And um, what held us up? So obviously one of the, um, one of the part of the scope of the, the podcast is, is sort of one of the groups we feel we can appeal with this is other people that are thinking of doing the same thing. We're mm. sort of, by starting this, are taking a bit of a punt 
that uh, we're really going to enjoy this. Yeah, but, uh, quite. I think we will. Yeah, hopefully this doesn't become a very passive-aggressive diary of our issues with the world. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and and I think from what I can tell, you know, when on most people on social media can be pretty nasty to one another. But mm. when you look at the interactions on the Great British Hobbit League or all these other groups, you think actually, yeah, like everyone's dealing with each other in a very, very civilized manner, and there does, it, it all seems very nice, really. Yeah, there does yeah. seem to be a consistent positivity amongst yeah. the the online community that perhaps you don't see with uh, other things. Yes, definitely. Um, there's not not much that's contentious about the hobby. Really, you just enjoy it, and that's mm. great, and people people can bond over that. So. Uh, I think, yeah, credit where credit's due, perhaps the games developers have uh, yeah. pushed towards that as well, because there's even a page in the main rule book that says to uh, uh, abide by the golden rule, mm. which is like, if in doubt, give the benefit of the doubt. And, mm. uh, and Absolutely, you, you just know, be generous yeah. to your opponent and those kinds of things. And it'll be interesting, yeah, I guess part of the thing, you know, part of the reason I always am a bit hesitant about competitive things, I've enjoyed competitive things at various points in my life, but I've always... Being a bit like too being too competitive can spoil the fun, mm. and you sort of think oh, I don't really need the stress that this hyper competitiveness is creating. And again, I think Lord of the Rings, on the face of it, seems to be a nice balance, and it'll be interesting whether we find that at the tournaments. I suppose. Yeah, for sure. I mean, one of my hesitations definitely was because I've had this hunger to do a tournament or something like that. Mm. Like I, I, I went to uh, that event last year, didn't I? Which was sort of a meet up. Yeah. Um, uh, for, for a 40k uh, YouTuber and that, that was good fun and it was really nice to play other people as well and find that yeah I could do that as an adult and have good fun not as much fun as playing within our group mm. but good fun pl uh, playing with strangers um, and yeah I do agree with you like with 40k everything I've seen on there like if you go to a tournament there you're likely to play four of the same armies mm. um, and they will be spamming certain units mm. I like from what I've seen online, that someone will be like, oh, I've had this idea of a, a what if, yes. or I love this moment from the movie, exactly. I'm going to create an army based on that. Yeah. I, I, I like people yeah. who do value the thematic aspect of it. And that's a reflection on how well balanced the game is, really. Mm. I don't think that would be possible if, if the game wasn't as, as balanced as it was. I'm sure people have got little gripes. I don't, I don't really, to be honest. But I'm, I'm sure people do have them. But on the whole, it, it seems... Very well balanced. And yeah. yeah, and you don't really hear of anybody online being like, "Oh, I've had this bad time." Yes, exactly. And yeah, yeah e even when people are playing, like, because there are some sort of, I, I don't know whether I'd go as far as to call them meta players, but there's people that are bringing very competitive lists and winning tournaments and like, yeah, and that's, uh, that's progressive. Fair enough, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm not complaining about yeah. that. I just mean that. When people walk away from those games, you don't hear them saying, oh, I've had a dreadful time. No, I mean, I suppose, I, I think I maybe have read one or two accounts of games where you get uh, someone playing a Horde army and then they deliberately time the game out. I guess that's the only thing I've hmm. heard of. I, that seems to be bad etiquette on the yeah, I, there um, was a, Yeah, there was an incident a couple of years ago at Articon, wasn't there, yeah. where... Uh, Unsubstantiated. We we don't know whether it's true or not, but I think there was an accusation of uh, slow play. Yeah, yeah. And I can understand that. And but at the same time, like you know, like some people they you know, especially if you've got a lot of models, we do need quite mm. a lot of time to think about it. So I, I guess maybe that's just um, thinking about your opponent and getting the game done when you design your army a bit as, as tempting as it might be to just take 
as many goblins as you can and nothing else. I don't yeah, know. I mean, it wouldn't always work in your favour to slow play, would yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, but one thing, I mean, if I were to really nitpick and say, oh, I've got one slight worry, it's the idea of specifically at Ardacon, where there is going to be a lot of skilled players. Yeah, sure. Is it, like, I find it a little bit strange that people that are directly involved with the creation of the game are playing at the tournaments. Yeah. It sounds like they're all really nice people, but yeah, it'd be a, I'd be a bit disappointed. I, I know it's on us that it's our first, first yes. run of tournaments, but if I sit down and I'm like, oh, the chap who's written the rule book is uh, sat over there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I'd go and get myself a tall drink and just, you know, have the best out of it as I could. Uh, well, I think that, you know, there's a benefit in that because you can say, I'm not sure what the rule is. <laughs> You'd hope that they would know. Um, <laughs> a so, learning experience. Yeah, yeah, you at least don't have to rely on, on looking the rules up so much. Um, but yeah, I, I guess there's an element of, have they made one army best than the other play? I don't know, but, you know, good luck to them. Yeah, I mean, I think it's fair to say, obviously my hesitation there could be applied to, oh, I, I, I sit across and... It's a multi-tournament winner, couldn't mm. it? And obviously, just because I'm entering doesn't mean they shouldn't be playing. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, so, yeah, but that was just one thought I had. But, yeah, no, mostly I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, I think it'll be good. Yeah, um, and I guess um, another part of the attraction, you know, when you proposed doing these tournaments was, oh, I sort of it briefly crossed my mind that we could use an army we already had. But actually, you know, to go back to what we were saying earlier about my model collection, a lot of the models I've bought are from all kinds of different manufacturers and I might create a proxy army from some Oathmark figures for a Gondor force or what also use some, I think it's Conquest uh, or Conqueror dwarves there, are Colin Patton's sculpt for my Iron mm. Hills. But I'm, you know, you can't take those to a tournament. So you can take you know. them if they're not Games Workshop ran. Oh, as yeah, long as you okay. write, from what yeah. I've been reading online, and this is something we can check with some of the yeah. tournament organisers, is that as long as you run it past the tor tournament organiser, yeah. um, generally proxy, uh, not proxies, because proxies technically means you're using an existing model. Um, I think there's another phrasing, or maybe I'm completely Alternate right. sculpts. Alternate know, sculpts, like yeah, yeah, are completely fine yeah. as long as you get them okay by a tournament organiser. Okay, yeah. I've, so... Um... But I guess, you know, we're, we're running up to a Games Workshop tournament. And yeah, that and was the original you know, the, aim, the, the more compelling reason here is this is a good chance and reason to paint a new army. So Yeah, and that nicely brings us along. Yeah, we're, so I think when we, when we sat down and we thought... So to give people a very quick timeline, essentially I saw that there was the doubles tournament at, at Games Workshop Warhammer World. Mm. I love going there. It's, it's the home of all these games we love. Um, and, and a lot of other model industry just in Nottingham in general um, and thought this could be a great opportunity for us to, uh, to finally, um, you know, ha have our first tournament. Uh, doubles seemed like a great idea because uh, at worst you're like hanging out with your mate all day um, and you can have a good, a good laugh that way. At best, you have some great games as well. Um, and yeah, so that's what got us back into it. So when we were choosing an army we were going to play together, it was focused around that doubles tournament. Yeah. So, yeah, I think the sort of quick criteria we drew up initially was it was to be a new army that neither of us particularly collected. Yes. Mm. Um, something that was thematic but also could be competitive. And, uh, yeah, we, we drew up a list of a few different ones. So we had a lot of sort of Isengard uh, figures, but neither of us had particularly played with them intensely. 
Uh, what were the other choices we, we discussed? Um, oh, I think there were a few we thought about. Uh, you know, we've got sort of quite a big Mordor army between us. Um, mm. Talk briefly about possibly a Rohan army, I think. But uh, you've done a lot of Rohan. So I've recently, done quite a lot yeah. of Rohan um, and enjoyed playing with them. Um, in a variety of different forms, actually. Um, mm. Yeah, you've done some really good armies. Uh, 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 it's something we can talk about in, in later podcasts. Yeah. But yeah, I do think we should maybe, uh, when it comes to our solo Ardacon armies, for instance, we should uh, yeah maybe look at something that we're more comfortable with. I think I will almost certainly thank Mordor. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah. Uh, for the individual. But yeah, I, we can play Haradim all the way through. Mm. So yeah, when we got to Haradim, I think the idea was... There's a, for me, there's some great models I've had my eye on for a while. I've wanted to buy, uh, buy the Fat Boys, the, mm. the Merchant card, yeah. for a long time. I love them. I love their rules. Like, hit like an absolute sledgehammer, but a bit vulnerable because they're just uh, they're stood there in their gold chains. Yeah, there's plenty of belly to attack, isn't yeah. there? So, the, yeah. the lovely Raiders, 11, 11 points for a guy on a horse with a lance is great. Like, um, I, I think it... I love wargs because you can get that strength four from the warg, but I think it's it, it, with the lance, it's one step ahead of even that. Yeah, I think getting the, the five plus on the roll to wound, is it? Yeah, if, yeah. if you're attacking someone that is defense six, then it becomes uh, a, a five. Yeah, so with the lance. That's pretty handy, really, isn't it? Um, and, and if you're also attacking, is it a, a three on five would normally be a five? Mm-hmm. Um, or is it a six? No, I think it is a five. So yeah, with the lance, you can bring a three on five down to fours, which is where, and then obviously you're getting a double strike from knocking them down. So yeah, in general, we, we liked the models, we liked the sculpts, um, thought that would be a good army to prepare. It'd be good fun to paint, I think. Yeah. yeah. And we've, we've sort of been, uh, we're not dead set on uh, what the army composition is going to be, but at the moment, the things we're sure about is that we're going to have Sudladan, who, although perhaps he's not the hardest hitter, is uh, quite competitive points-wise. You get that bo- that six-inch banner. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you can have him on an armoured horse. He is strength four. He's got three might, three will. Only downside is one fate um, and uh, no lance. It would be awesome if he could have a lance Yeah, choice. he could have a lance. That would, that would top him off. But um, I think, you know, fair enough to limit him. Yeah. Then we've got the... So he's going to be the leader of my half of the army. Mm. And on your side, we're certain that we're going to have, is it the Betrayer? The Betrayer, yeah. yeah. So I um, had a bit of a glitch on acquiring the Betrayer, <laughs> uh, which I'm trying to resolve with Games Workshop. But I did order it and uh, I've got an extra bit of the Knight of Umbar and I'm, I'm missing, actually, the Betrayer on foot. So hopefully they'll be there to lead the armies. Mm. Um, I'm sure they'll be there on horse anyway. So. And, uh, and hopefully Games Workshop uh, customer service is normally pretty I hear good. they're very good. I know they're, yeah. they're under a lot of pressure at the moment uh, from the email I received. So I'm, <laughs> I'm being patient and I'm sure they'll be in touch very soon. They're yeah, hopefully annoyed. it doesn't take too long. So yeah. we're certain on that. He's got that fantastic rule that if you're, um, uh, is it, if you're playing with poisoned weapons anyway, you can re-roll all wounds within six inches of him if you spend a point of will. Yeah. So we're thinking... Him combined with a lot of guys with lances is a pretty nasty combination, especially when you've got the Serpent Guard in there with fight skill four, very, very cheap elite cavalry. Absolutely. Uh, and then on my end, uh, I'm backing it up with a, a Haradim King uh, with a lance and horse. And then sort of what's in the flux is how many, um, how many uh, Merchant Guard we're going to have, 
how many banners we're going to have, how many bows. We are going to have a lot of bows because I think that that works in a number of ways. Even if, for instance, someone's got casting uh, blinding light, mm. with that reroll all wounds on poisoned weapons, even sitting up hitting on sixes, if we have as many bows as we're discussing, which is maybe about 20, mm. you're going to be getting wounds. And yeah, we can apply pressure to pretty much any army. Yeah, I think we can outgun most armies on the um, on the bow front. And mm. I think we'll have a nice strike force with the cavalry. Um, and I think it kind of feels right to have, you know, a kind of fairly weak, small infantry centre, or at least fewer mm. of those, and to have a better, bigger focus on bows on the one hand, fast-moving cavalry lances on the other. Mm. I think that's what you kind of expect from a desert faction, yeah, we're, really. Yeah, we're going to have mobility, we're going to have some hitting power... Mm. Um, the only ones that I maybe worry about is ultra high defense armies. Yes, that's um, yeah. Or terror causing armies. Yeah. Which is one thing that, yeah, I think we need to think about whether we want a war horn or not. Mm. Um, these are sort of like features of the game that within our little bubble haven't, we haven't seen a lot of play of because nobody, no. play, nobody plays Angmar, no. nobody plays um, the Nine no. among our groups. So, yeah, ter big terror isn't really something we've had to deal with. No, and they are. Pretty low courage, I think, these guys, mm. so it, that could be a problem. Which, maybe a warhorn will be in order. We'll have to mm. see how we go. So, uh, yeah, moving on to our, our next topic, a a ambitions. I mean, I think I speak for both of us that we're... And I, I did actually write into uh, another podcast to ask for some advice, the, the Entmoot podcast, mm. which is my favourite uh, mi uh, Middle-earth sort of content creator. Um, ran by Harry Parkill. Who, uh, I'd recommend checking out if you, you haven't seen it, Chris. I, I think you'd quite like his style. And yeah, I, I wrote to him asking for a bit of advice. And um, one of the things he, he said was to just, you know, go into it with an open mind. Mm. Uh, be, be friendly. Um, Realise we're not going to know everything because we've been playing in, the, in this bubble. Yeah. And yeah, I think we're both going into it with that attitude. We both just... Yeah, it, I'm quite interested to sort of learn some of the finer points of the game, really, and work out if they're doing anything wrong and how, you know, whether that affects army choices, you know, all those kinds of things. And Yeah, yeah I mean, I, for, being honest, because I'm a bit of a competitive person, I'll be over the moon if we can, like, you know, win some games. It'd be dreadful to yeah, lose I all of them. I think you would take that harder than <laughs> I, think I could cope better um but mm. i still would like to win again it's always nice to win yeah yeah i i mean mm. yeah i i don't think we're definitely not going to walk in there and win all our games because no. it's gonna we're gonna be, i think what will trip us up mainly is playing unfamiliar game types that yeah. we don't normally play within our circle and playing unfamiliar armies yeah uh, i think if we sit down and we're opposite a gondor force we're opposite a mordor force um, probably Isengard as well. Yeah, I think we'll be um, fairly comfortable. And Dwarves yeah. as well. If, if some of those Hobbit armies turn up that we're not familiar yeah, with. I yeah, I think we'll play the Goblin Town army. And I've never played, you know, a Dale army, Lake Town. There's a few Hobbit armies that I find a bit intimidating. So, yeah, if we come up against those, I'll be interested to see how that goes and discuss that. Um, definitely. But, yeah, so our current run of tournaments that we've got is that there's a local one called the, the Bistro Bash. Okay. Which I believe is early July. I have to double-check that. Um, so that is a singles tournament, but we can enter as a team. Okay. Um, Ash, who's someone else we might introduce at a later date, is possibly up for that as well, so he could join us. Um, then at the end of July, we've got the doubles tournament, which is what lured us in originally, yeah. where the Haradim will be making their debut. 
Um, and then we've got Articon, which is a four-day extravaganza, which I think we are entered into no less than three tournaments for that. Wow. Okay. So yeah. we've got a two-day doubles tournament. Yeah. And then we've got a two-day... Uh, uh, then there's a Friday night sort of fun tournament okay. where you're meant to bring like a slightly silly army or slightly themed army. It's all sort of maelstrom games where people are coming on the, the board edges. And then we've got a two-day um, singles tournament, which uh, I think we can enter as a team so we get cumulative uh, points as well. Great. Um, and, uh, and yeah, that's it for now, the, the three tournaments. I, I'm looking at some later in the year. Um, but yeah, I think that's more than enough between now and August. Yeah, I think then we'll get some practice games in, won't we, together? Um, we had one uh, on Friday um, that's just gone and had a, fitted a couple of games in, and that was... Nice to get. I hadn't played for quite a while. You've been playing a few games, but mm. um, that was my first recent game of Lord of the Rings. I don't think I've played it in at least maybe a year or more. I don't know. Yeah. So, yeah, d d to give a bit of background on that, my, we've got two friends, Tom and Ash. Um, uh, Tom is a pretty experienced 40k player, and um, uh, Ash is an enthusiastic newbie in everything, really. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and I've got a friend, uh, well, we've got a friend, Martin, who plays a bit of 40k and also plays one fantasy, so I play that with him. Mm. That's really the limit of the, the gaming range for me. So, so yeah, t Tom and Ash, I've been teaching them the game, mm. which has been a great refresher for me because, yeah, we pretty much dropped this for at least 18 months, I would yeah. say. Uh, and um, Chris has been, uh, you know, prolifically painting mm -hmm. and playing the occasional forty k and fan, fan, uh, forty k and fantasy game. Um, and yeah, I've pretty much just been playing forty k. Apart from we did do a little bit of a spur of battle companies, didn't we? Yeah, we had a few uh, battle companies tournaments, which was really mm -hmm. fun and highly recommend that game format if you've not done it. Um, anyone listening, I think it's um, pleasant surprise. Yeah, yeah, I mean it's good and it's bad in that it has lots of role-playing elements doesn't it mm. it's very fun but it does create a little bit of paperwork yeah there's a bit of that i think once you get the hang of it you can mm. keep track of that reasonably easily there's a bit of a problem where if one army becomes relative you know if you suffer a few bad things early on that can have a sort of compounding effect as the mm. campaign goes on so i sort of think you need to end up with a fairly balanced situation in the first you know four or five games so that the the companies develop at the reasonably the same pace mm. otherwise it can, or at least do something to, to adapt to that it's, it's, it, good. it's good fun it, i mean the practice games have definitely been showing me i don't feel in, intimidated by the game but i am like oh yeah we, we got to play a few of these um yeah definitely a bit rusty and um just getting that sense Sort of all the fine points of the rules, remembering all the details. And Especially having challenged ourselves with a, with a new army. Yes, yeah, there's more to learn. So. so the next section I want to move us on to is, uh, yeah, something uh, I mentioned we might talk about is uh, new model releases. Just because it's, uh, it's topical, we're going to look at them anyway, we're going to discuss them anyway, and uh, it might be of interest to some people. So we're, we're starting chronological order. We have got some stuff to look at today um, that is brand new that neither of us have actually seen. So we're, we're, we okay. get a live reaction. Great, excellent. Yeah. Let's see. Okay, so let's, um, something that was announced, I think this was the, the Monday, um, they, Games Workshop always release a new mo model on Monday, don't they? So what, what we're looking at is uh, the Warhammer community 
article uh, for the new Dale Windlance. And um, I think we have both seen this independently. I have seen this. I saw this uh, earlier in the week. So, I, yeah, this isn't my first impression. Mm. And I know that we have different views. So <laughs> I will just briefly say what I like about the model, I think, and then how Sonny can say. Yeah, well, what do you think, Chris? Concerns. So we, the, I mean, we've got two guys there. One's holding um, uh, an extra ammo. Is an ammo bearer. And then we've got the guy manning the wind lance. A lot sort of like... Um, Bard does it on his model, um, yeah, just aiming it. Yeah, I mean, I think they're the, the two models that accompany the Windlance are in suitable poses. You've got a fairly classic, you know, man calling out, perhaps signalling a target, and, and another guy manning the, the siege weapon. I, I generally like siege weapons, and I think this, Do one's, you? this you, one's a you pretty like cool them, model. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I've, got, I've got a baluster, I think it is, for... Um, for Gondor, isn't it? I think they've got a baluster, so or a kind of bolt thrower. So I've got one of those, um, and then yeah, I've just been doing some siege weaponry recently. So I, I like this is kind of on theme and what I'm I mean, enjoying at the moment. And uh, it's quite simple in its design, and I like hmm. that. It's sort of got an almost Roman theme, but not quite. And yeah, don't object to it. I think it's uh, fine. I, I mean, as a model, I think it's absolutely fine. Yeah, and I think, um, yeah, that's well, where we can... It, it looks good, agree. and I, I, from my understanding, they're sort of using three, 3D uh, digital sculpting now. So it probably hasn't been a great deal of work to just get those, um, those Dale models and no. reposition them and, and then attach them to a, a wind lance. However, my, my two hang-ups, and this is where we maybe differ, is number one, uh, Although I understand this is to do with the War in the North, in the North mm -hmm. release, which is coming out soon, which is focusing on um, sort of the Easterlings attacking the Lonely Mountain and Dale, and this is to support that launch. So I get that. I do get that. Um, I just don't like at the moment that we've got existing armies, armies that have existed for 20 years, that don't have their full run of models in production right now. Mm. Like for instance, if you want to start up a Moria Goblin army, and you don't just want to run the Balrog and a load of goblins, you're completely out of luck. You can't get hold of the captains, you can't get hold of the black shields. Like the made to order is gone. Mm. Um, and it's the same with a lot of other forces. So I'm just a bit like, why, why, why are you doing you just this? support the whole range? Yeah. Well, I think they would say about the storage and the production capacity, um, and I, I'm, I'm sure I've seen them talk about that. So I know that they cycle in and out some models, but. Yeah, there's not a great deal of certainty about when that's going to happen. It's quite hard to plan mm. what you're going to do. I guess, from Games Workshop's perspective, they're wanting to bring out new products all the time, and they maybe do slightly create that like fear of missing out. They kind, mm. of, kind of do need True. to buy this. True, they do always sell soon. a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So I think for their business model, it it makes sense. And then I think in terms of like, I don't know if you have any concerns about like more broadly the. The thematic nature of, of these. I don't. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, uh, I'm a bit of an ill-educated purist in that I haven't read the Simmerillion, <laughs> but I do like the way it is in the Tolkien books. And yeah, I I don't like that this whole concept is is um, uh, focused on a, a Peter Jack uh, Jacksonism, mm. uh, as it were. In that this isn't what the Black Arrow is in in the book, and this entire. Uh, this entire creation is focusing on that. But to be honest, I'm not a big fan of all the Hobbit miniatures just because I didn't like the film. So yeah, it's the by-the-by. Other people can enjoy this. But my main reservation 
other than yeah the the production capacity i wish it was going in other places and supporting um existing bigger armies rather than creating new ones is when we've played siege weapons they are very fun and it is sort of like oh haha i've missed it's yeah. done nothing and then another time oh i've skewered six dwarves yeah that's <laughs> devastating yeah um, yeah <laughs> i don't like the way that when we played them before that they just section off a whole section of the board oh i love that i think it's about like you like that i like the control of the board that you get from the threat of an attack Mm. and the threat that that presents there's a psychology to it i think it does kind of psych you out if you're like oh like there's just loads of crossbows there or there's like all these bolt throws Mm. or you know or even just one um especially if you've got mm. horses in there i mean people are going to be very wary about and then you've got a sense of okay well where's the enemy likely to move where do i want them to move therefore where am i going to position that i think hmm. i like the strategic element of that actually yeah okay yeah there is another side to it yeah which is yeah i mean i thought that's why we might work well as co-hosts yeah <laughs> we agree ways. a lot of the time but not all of the time, not all the time <laughs> no, absolutely not yeah I, I'm, my only reservation and obviously in the hands of the community that from everything we've heard is very very positive and we're hoping to see confirmed uh, ourselves is what happens if somebody turns up with three bolt throwers well yeah. if they do then you're just gonna have to <laughs> go around the outside of the board or something i don't know what but, or um find some some cannon fodder i don't know but um yeah i'm sure you need there's a trade-off there if they've got those bolt throwers there's stuff they don't have because they've paid the points for those so i'm sure there's a workaround so, I don't know. I, I'm going to create something on the cuff here. What's our score out of five for, for this uh, this new model? I'm going to give it a three and a half, I think. I oh, I thought you'd be higher. No, well, I think I've seen better, but it's fine. Mm. Um, I've got no problem with it. Um, I think three and a half is fair praise. I mean, yeah, I, I, I was thinking, I don't know, yours is a lot lower than I thought. I would, okay, I'll go with my initial thought. My initial thought was three out of five. Okay, yeah. Well, um, I think we're about there on it then well we're split distance I've given it a bit more 3.25 yeah for me like I say I wish it was going towards another army um, and I maybe wish it wasn't a siege weapon but I understand this probably wasn't a lot of work on the basis that it is the model it is you know fair enough I think yeah okay right. 3.25 All right. okay now we're moving on to there's been some reveals uh, today I didn't realise that we're doing Lord of the Rings reveals today so Day from what I saw, it was going to be Warcry and age, the Age of Sigmar yeah. stuff. Well, well, let's let's see what so, they've got um, for Lord of the Rings. Yeah, they've done something. So we it's have a nice, you know, gift to the baying mob calling for Lord of the Rings releases. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I do love the fact they're supporting the game. Yeah, it's considering there was that dead period. Absolutely. But yeah, yeah, neither of us have seen this, so I'm gonna I'm gonna click on the other tab and we're gonna have a look. So. Um, oh did, great! Okay. Is that Grimbjorn and Grim the Bjornings? Bjornings. Oh, okay. so weren't the Bjornings? They were the race of people that, um, yeah, the bear guy from the Hobbit yeah, was from. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I see. So it's like it's kind of family, I, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. So we recently announced the new supplement of Middle Earth strategy battle game, Defense of the North, mm-hmm. as I mentioned earlier. Grimbjorn is the chieftain of the Bjornings. Oh, you missed their pun now if you'll bear with us for a moment. Ah, I see, yeah, straight over my head. Mm. Too low brow. <laughs> uh, he's pretty useful with his axe, but just like his father, Bjorn, he's a skin changer. Oh, okay, okay. I thought Bjorn was like the last of his kind, but evidently not. He obviously got on with stuff after, um, after all the action of the Hobbit. So. <laughs> 
Yeah. I'm so, going to settle down now and have a family. So what we're seeing right now is, is a giant black bear, much the same as uh, Bjorn's bear, um, but yeah, paint, painted differently. And quite a cool sort of uh, woodsman uh, guy with an axe in his right hand, a bow on his back, and he's pointing. I, th I think that's quite a good model in of itself. Like, uh, I don't know whether the scale is bigger, because the bear must be massive. So maybe he's bigger than a normal man, like he is in The Hobbit? What do you think, Chris? Yeah, it's possible. In comparison, the bear doesn't really maybe look big enough. But as you say, maybe he's oversized. Oh, yeah, actually, yeah, because obviously... Complete brain failure there for me. Um, because Defence of the North is set, is, is set during the Lord of the Rings, isn't it? Mm. So this is some time after The Hobbit. So yeah, yeah, yeah okay. I, I, I see where they're coming from now. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to scroll down. And what have we got here? Accompanying Grimbjorn into battle are the Bjorn... Bjorn God, this is really going to do my tongue in. Bjornings? Bjornings, yeah. um, It's clear from these burly figures that the wilds breed tough folk more than capable of defending their homelands from any invaders. And yeah, we've got um, a female character with a, a big axe. Um, uh, almost, uh, if anyone's seen uh, Vikings, uh, yeah, a, um, I, I forget his name. Yeah, it looks Very like Viking style with... with almost uh, Rollo-esque figure. Yeah, yeah, with two axes. And then a huntsman-type figure. Mm, um, sure. So these miniatures all come with alternate heads and can be armed with either great bows or hand and half axes. Oh, I like that. Yeah. I like the variability. They don't often do that with the character models. I think that's a nice touch. I hope these are human size, to be honest, because they could they, they could be used for a lot of things. They're, they're very nice models. Yeah. I'm not. I, I I I like the the female figure. I mean the face. It looks like they've got the burly rule. I think they probably yeah. are big, especially if you look yeah. at the size of the woman. I think they are probably bigger than your average Minas Tirith warrior. The, the the rest of the model is great, but the face on the female character does look. I don't know. It looks a little off to me. I think that's a bit of a theme, isn't it, with the digital sculpts? Mm. I don't think. What that more emotive faces yeah, don't quite work. I don't think it quite. Well. I think that's almost too clean. I think the organic cut of a sculpt from you know green stuff, I guess, um, from epoxy. I somehow mm. is more expressive and feels a bit realer. I don't know. I'm just How scanning the over. They obviously they brought out the command figures for yeah, and that's for uh, Dale. Which yeah, it does seem like maybe these are going to be uh, some historical allies for Dale. Yeah. Um, to help flush out the army. Um, so yeah, it seems like they could be a, a, a pretty much an entirely, well not entirely new, but you know, a more flushed out Dale Force um, that is set during the Lord of the Rings with uh, uh, support from other allies. I really hope they bring out dwarves, more dwarves. Always like more dwarves. Yeah, yeah I actually uh, really liked the king they brought out recently. I, I think I might pick that up still. I haven't got it yet. The which king? I think they brought a king. Oh, what, um, the son of Dane. Yeah. Yeah, so. yeah, they were all cool models. Nice. Yeah, I love dwarves. I hope they get some troops. Yeah, I really love the model for Jura, actually. Mm. I think it's great. Because I, I, obviously I love the Kingdom of Khazad-dûm, mm. and I also quite like um, all the variants for the Misty Mountain. Yep. But I, I just, maybe Moria, it is reasonably flushed out, and but there's sort of only one way to play all of these armies. Two at the most. And I'd just like to see him well, dwarves get... dwarves are always... They know, mm. I mean, dwarves in any fancy game are limited without the cavalry. I mean, I know they've got these goat riders and very, hills, but we won't talk about that. Yeah, um, well, they are very dangerous over short distances. Yes, very dangerous. <laughs> yeah, right. 
definitely sad. But no, I, I don't know. Because they can ride ponies. They ride ponies in The Hobbit. Sure, but I don't think any self-respecting dwarf would ride a pony into war. <laughs> He's just got so much dignity for that. Perhaps, perhaps. But uh, yeah, I, I, I see I, what I, you're I saying. I get the chariot thing. I mean, I kind of like that. In the mm. I think a dwarf, you know, is ingenious enough to get a chariot. Well, um, I think chariot, so. we won't go too far into this, but I do think, like perhaps like Moria, their list could perhaps be solved by maybe giving some extra movement uh, to the dwarf rangers. Uh, maybe having a dwarf ranger captain King of Doom, who, yeah. who, who has like a mar- uh, march ability or something like that. Yeah, um, a, a drum. It's something to give them a bit more movement. I, I, I get what you're saying, that, yeah, it would be too much to give them 10-inch cavalry uh, that don't cost a remortgage of your house to buy the ghosts. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but, yeah. Okay, then. So, um, yeah, that's pretty much a, a roundup of all the new models. That's everything we wanted to cover today. Um, as soon as we finish this recording, I think we're going to open up a few more drinks, play some more practice games, um, so yeah, we will probably catch up with you all in about, uh, I'm going on a short holiday, so in about two weeks time, hopefully, we'll be able to re-record. Um, I'll probably release this just before I go away after I've edited it, so it won't be too much of a, uh, a wait, but yeah, I don't know about you, Chris, but I've, I've quite enjoyed that. We've just sort of talked about stuff we would chat about Covered anyway. Grant. Hope people yeah. enjoy it. Thank you for listening. Yeah, cheers. Goodbye, everyone. Hi everyone, uh, so I'm just sneaking back in, uh, as perhaps this was the first podcast, there were a few things uh, I forgot uh, to do, so yeah, we forgot to give a rating to the Bjornings, so Chris isn't here, but I'm going to give them a three, three and a half stars out of five, uh, I think they're really cool models, um, I particularly like some of the uh, the poses on the like Bjorning warriors, uh, maybe not so much the faces, but what still holds them back for me is uh, we do already have a guy that turns into a bear. Um, and also, I, I think that I and the community would probably benefit more, and so would Games Workshop sales benefit more from them fleshing out the uh, the existing factions that they've got. Uh, uh, I, if we had full support for the range and... Like there was unlimited manufacturing times, um, it would be great to have all these little minor sub factions and things. But the the fact is, we don't. Um, and I think the quality of the game um, and the attractiveness to new players would uh, would definitely improve if more of that manufacturing time was just focused on fleshing out the armies we have. Um, once the game is at a stable enough demand. Uh, that they can then demand uh, more manufacturing time uh, from the Games Workshop factories, um, then I think they should be expanding into things like this. The other thing I forgot to uh, cover is we do have an email address. It is middleearthinmercia at gmail.com. So if you want to contact the podcast, if you've got any comments, if you've got any suggestions, if you've got any questions... Uh, middleearthinmercia at gmail.com uh, and Mercia if in doubt is just spelled how the title of the podcast is uh, middleearthinmercia at gmail.com 
uh, if anyone has listened all the way through would love to hear from you that'd be great and uh, we'll address that in the next podcast and finally if you have made it all the way here to the end thank you so much for listening uh, i'm uh, i hope it's brought you um, a small amount of enjoyment uh, i would guess uh, this is going to be about an hour runtime. So if you have made it all the way through, I guess you probably did enjoy it to some degree. So thank you so much for listening to our, our first podcast. Uh, I would encourage you to please do stick with us. Uh, I have learned so much uh, from just sit, like taking this from being like an ambition of something I wanted to do at some point, um, see what it was like, to actually doing it. I've, I've learned an immense amount in sort of the, the the two weeks of drawing everything up, drawing my plans up, and uh, and sitting down with Chris and actually recording it, uh, I've learned so much about using the editing software I'm using, uh, and I've made some silly mistakes on this first one, which I hopefully replicate for the others. Um, number one being, don't use two different uh, microphones if you don't need to, because um, it's made it quite hard to equalize everything. Um, sort of making sure that there's like not things in the room that are going to create lots of little bits of static and and so on um yeah definitely learned a lot and uh and yeah work, working with someone else and someone like something like this uh, like chris was much much better at doing transitions and stuff and uh, i didn't quite pick up on what he was doing until afterwards so hopefully episode number two is uh as much of the same sort of chat in it um, I'm quite happy with how that all that's gone, but hopefully the production in, it continues to improve, um, and we're we're fine tuning all this. Um, I've also uh, had an opportunity to talk to my my other uh, mates to play with Tom and Ash, uh, and they're interested in featuring. So uh, yeah, uh, it it could be up to two two maybe two and a half weeks until we get another one out. Um, just because I've got to go on a, sh- a short holiday for a close friend's uh, wedding. So I'm going to be away from that. And then when I get back, I'm going to probably be quite busy with uh, work to catch up. Um, but then hopefully in the following weeks, uh, I'll get back into the rhythm of playing with the guys. Uh, and we'll find an opportunity to sit down and chat. Um, so yeah, thanks again for listening. I hope to uh, see you again soon. Cheers, everyone. Bye. So one final extra I am going to add in is, yes, after editing, I did indeed realise for a good 20 minutes I continued to say flushed out rather than fleshed out. Yeah. Okay.